Welcome to Fast Fiction. The Sound of Silence The shrill discord of the telephone disturbed the early Saturday morning. It was the third call, and still not yet nine o'clock. Barbara? Phone? Robert Jarvis was perched precariously on a ladder, very much aware of being 50-something. Barbie? Phone? Can you get it? I'm busy at the moment. Robert's voice showed his irritation. He was hot and tired and would rather be doing anything other than putting up fairy lights around the patio. And when he was done, Barbara had another rotten job for him. Cleaning away all the pot plants to make room for the hundred or so guests expected to arrive in another few hours. And after that, heaven knew what. His wife's light footsteps could be heard running through the house. Okay, I'm on to it. Robert felt guilty. Truth to tell, she probably had more to do than he had. But then again, she enjoyed this sort of thing. After all, Janie had made it quite clear that she would have preferred celebrating her 21st with friends at Mount Isaac, where she'd been teaching since graduating. But Barbara had been insistent that, as it was the holidays, she come home to share her birthday with her family. Hello, Barbara speaking. Mum, it's me. 500 kilometres from Brisbane, Janie Jarvis prepared for the tirade she knew was coming. She was not disappointed. Janie, where are you? We were expecting you to call last night. What's happened? Nothing, Mum. Hold your horses. Janie looked at the clock on the dashboard and bit her lip. Her parents had every reason to be annoyed. See, yesterday I found I had made good timing to Longreach, so decided to divert a little and call in and see Lexi and Trevor out in the burbs. And we got talking... And drinking? Yes, we got drinking. Well, a bit. Anyway, Lexi persuaded me it would be best to stay over and make an early start this morning. And where are you now after this early start? Well, that's it, Mum. I'm only two hours out from Barcordin. See, when we went out to start the Lancer this morning, I found it as flat as a pancake. We couldn't get it started. It's the battery. Been giving me trouble all term. So why didn't you buy a new one? Yeah, well... I suppose I should have, but... But you spent all your money on partying? Jane didn't hear all of her mother's input or disapproval as she spoke right over her, but there was little doubt of the reaction. Anyway, Lexi kindly offered I drive her car back and she's going to get Trevor to fix mine. He can recharge it fully over the weekend. They're heading off to the lakes for a camping trip after lunch, so it will give him a chance to give the Lancer a fine tune and see how it goes. We'll swap again on the return journey. The two women argued back and forth about the ideals of this plan, exchanging excuses and retorts, defences and responses, with Barbara finally reassured that it would have little effect on the outcome. Janie would still be able to arrive in a reasonable time to freshen up and change for the party. They parted in good humour, and the mutual exchange was that each have a pleasant day. A few minutes later, Barbara was relaying all of this new information to a sceptic Robert, and Jane was back on the open road. Both parents and daughter had had a busy day ahead and it was pointless using up more time and energy on a fait accompli. Putting her mobile away and back on the highway, Jane felt light-hearted. First of all, it was a pleasure to drive a new, well, newish car for a change. 
The poor old Lancer was well over its shoes by date, but she could only dream about trading it in. Then again, the conversation with Alexis last night had offered lots of insights into career options Jane had not considered since leaving uni, and the road ahead would offer plenty of opportunity to think them through. She decided she would have to average out at 100 kilometres an hour in order to arrive at her parents' home in Brisbane in time to prepare for the evening's festivities. She would have to be neat and tidy for the grandparents and the aunts, the next-door neighbours, old-school chums. Janie groaned, still disappointed she could not be planning a rave with her new friends in her new grown-up life. The highway was in good repair and the car hummed. There were not many other cars on the road and driving was a positive pleasure. She groped in the glove box to see what CDs her friends had had, and was delighted to find a mixture of old favourites. This was going to be a good trip. The fairy lights were up, the pot plants cleared, the front and back lawns mowed, and Robert was hoping Barbara would soon give the thumbs up for lunch when he heard the telephone yet again. This time, Barbara jumped on it, thinking it was the caterer giving advance warning of his delivery. She was surprised to hear Janie's voice. mother smiled. As a matter of fact, I did. You're lucky. He's home just for the weekend with his folks. He'll be coming over with Nana and Grandpa. Tell Mum, that's all. Jane grinned to herself as she flicked the disconnect switch. Oh well, it wouldn't be so bad after all. David had been the favourite boyfriend and it would be nice to meet up with him again. Almost instinctively, she flicked the redial. Her mother's reply was immediate. Mum, if you get a minute, could you run an eye? Over the blue sundress? I already have. It's hanging up in your room. I cleaned your blue sandals too. Oh, Mum, you're a saint. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk 400 k's from home, Jane hummed along with Simon and Garfunkel, observing how the sound of silence was so appropriate to the outback, leaving Barbara to run upstairs and iron a sundress and clean some shoes. The Waltons from next door had brought over the last of the spare chairs from the garage and were admiring the patio lights when the telephone rang again. Grateful for the interruption, Barbara excused herself and saw them depart awkwardly over the back fence. Expecting the beer delivery, Barbara answered formally, Hello, Mrs Jarvis speaking. Mum, look, don't get excited, but I've had a bit of an accident. Thankful that her daughter's voice sounded cheerful, if not a little sheepish, Barbara found herself flying questions automatically. Are you all right? Are you hurt? No, I'm fine. But I screwed up Lex's car a bit, hit a roo, and skidded into the one blooming tree I'd seen in an hour. But that isn't the real problem. See, when I checked the car, I found a slip fan belt. Well, I fixed it up, temp-like, like Dad taught me, and decided to turn back and call into a property I saw a few k's back. But, see... Well, now I'm at the homestead, no one's home. It looks as if the property has been vacant a while. Barbara Jarvis listened to her daughter's tale of woe in a mixture of anger at the idiocy of her daughter's actions, upset that she did not look as if she would be attending her own party on time, and a little nod of anxiety at the unknown. Before she could convey much of this, Jane went on. The thing is, Mum, I don't know if Lexi is covered by road insurance. I've tried ringing her, but I don't know her mobile number, and her landline isn't answering. Well, she's probably out or even up on her way to the campsite. Could you ask Dad what I should do now? 
Relaying this to Robert in cryptic fashion by having to shout to him in the garage did not improve Barbara's nerves. So where is she, exactly? His male supremacy was evident when the message came back that his daughter could provide only a rough estimate. She says she's about an hour and a half out of Injune, and the property is on the left-hand side of the highway, Barbara told him. She left out Janie's reasoning. I left the car out on the road because I didn't think the car could manage the gridirons. They were pretty savage for a car with a clunky fan belt. It's going to take me a good half an hour to walk back there, and it's getting hot. At least I've got some shade here around the cottage. Barbara was now becoming a little more than nervous about her daughter's safety, and decided that, busy or not, it was time for Robert to come to the phone. She was in the midst of saying this when Jane's voice took on a timbre of excitement. Hang on, Mum. I think I can hear a car coming. Yes, yes, it's a truck of some sort. This place isn't deserted after all. Look, I'll get the owners to help me out and I'll ring you back. With a sense of real relief, Barbara put the phone down and was on her way to the garage when it rang again. Janie was obviously on redial. Mum? Mum, I'm not sure now. There are two guys and they, well, they look a bit rough. They haven't seen me yet. I'm over by one of the sheds, but I expect they know someone is here. Well, they would have seen the car back on the grid. Should I? Barbara's stomach took a leap. Then she heard a dog bark and the sound of deep, rough male voices. But her daughter's voice sounded cheery enough as with the telephone line still on an open line, she heard her call out. Hello? Hello? There's someone over there. Yes, hello, I'm over here. I'm just ringing for help. My car broke down. C- can you tell me exactly where we are, please? Today. The place is called The voices were jarred and indistinct. But Janie repeated their input for her mother to hear, as if to reinforce their dis- directions. So, this property is called what? Trevay. Tremaine? Trevay. Trevay. Oh, all oh right, Trevay. I see, yes. From Trevor and Anne. Good. Did, did you get that, Mum? It's actually called Trevay. And we're h- how many, how many kilometres out from... What is the nearest town? Bearwood. 100 K's on. Barbara stood quietly listening, straining for every word. Her feelings were mixed when she heard her daughter's next words. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, wait just a minute and I'll tell my mother. Janie now sounded relieved as she spoke into the telephone. Mum, these gentlemen, wait, one moment, I haven't got their names. Pete. I'm Joe. Pete. Yes, Joe. Pete and Joe are offering to tow me to the next township. So I'll ring you when we get there, which will be about, um, about two o'clock. Yes, Mum, we should be there in about an hour. So I'll ring you back. With a continued feeling of relief, she retraced her steps to the garden where she found Robert, sitting back on the newly cleaned patio drinking a beer. He jumped with guilt as she came upon him, but such thoughts of triviality immediately left him as she conveyed the further developments of Janie's plight. Ever pedantic, Rob was still annoyed to find that his daughter was in distress in the middle of nowhere with two strangers, her only means of assistance, and was only mildly placated when Barbara's retort that Janie's a sensible girl. She won't do anything silly. The answer came back, almost smugly. She already has. The middle-aged couple talked through all the options available over a quick lunch, yet it was really clear that there was little they could do until their next contact. Both reassured each other that, rough or not, The men were probably nice, ordinary fellows, scratching out a tough living. Even so, 
They would feel a great deal less anxious on our next call. They both checked their watches. It would be a long 90 minutes. In fact, it was long past two o'clock before they heard from Janie again. The caterers had come with the advance load, the flowers arranged, and numerous telephone calls about party matters, each one jarring at Barbara's nauseous stomach. Where was Janie? What had happened? She was just at the point of telling Rob that they must do something, even though she had no idea what, when the telephone jarred her thoughts and immediately heard her daughter's voice at the end of the line. Mum? Janie, is that you? Speak up, dear, I can't hear you. The line was distorted and Janie's tears were intermittent with muffled half-formed sentences. Barbara's voice was shrill as she put her hand over the mouthpiece and called out, Rob, pick up the cellular phone, quick, it's Janie. In the background, she could hear Robert grumbling about not having time to talk if Barbara wanted the bar stock properly in time. Forcing herself to speak calmly, she said, Janie, dear, I can't hear you. Speak up and try not to cry. Where are you and what has happened? There was a click as the cellular phone was picked up in time for Robert to hear his daughter say, I've... I've been attacked. Dear God, dear God, no. Barbara was now crying herself, every cautious fear exploding in an eruption of spasmodic gulps. What do you mean attacked? Are you hurt? Did they... She couldn't finish the question, which is every woman's worst nightmare. Robert's voice came in now, gruff but authoritative. Now, Jamie, love, I want to know... Where are you exactly? Tell me where you are. Barbara took an involuntary breath of surprise at her husband's tone, with every motherly bone in her body wanting to castigate him for his lack of sympathy. And is anyone else there? Are your are your attackers still there? Daddy, come and help me, please. Janie's voice, small and plaintive, was desperate for help. They didn't help me with the car, Daddy. They just laughed and, and they... It hurts. It, it, it hurts so much. Please, please, Daddy, come and get me, please. Again, the disciplined voice, calm but authoritative. Now, Jamie, love, I want to know, where are you exactly? Tell me where you are. That's just it, Daddy. At the same place, like, like I told Mum. I, I parked the car off the highway and walked over the cattle group to, to this deserted farmhouse. Barbara heard her daughter repeat the name of the homestead and then said, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Something like Spine Creek, I think. But, but this place is called Travan. Robert repeated it too. His voice had softened, and from her position at the kitchen phone, Barbara could see him making his way to the old-fashioned bureau where he kept his maps. He fumbled at the drawer, looking at her significantly and indicating she help. Reluctantly, she let her own telephone down as she hurried to find the map of Queensland. The afternoon light was gloomy, and with frustration she realised she had no reading glasses anywhere near. She ran to the bedroom where they were kept for nighttime reading. Robert was still talking calmly. Now think, love. Any bones broken? Can you walk? No. Right. And you're on your own now. You're sure of that? You're sure you heard them go? With trembling fingers, Barbara thumbed through the roadmap to the S's, the Spine Creek. No. No. Yes. A spindle creek. That must be it. A tiny, tiny place in the middle of nowhere. She showed it to Rob. He nodded still talking calmly as she ran back to the telephone in her kitchen. Now, Janie, I'm going to ring off now so that I can ring the police. Yes, you can do it too, but I may be able to be a little more coherent. Don't worry, darling, 
We'll have help with you in a while. I'll call you back as soon as they're on their way. Barbara heard the line go click as Robert disengaged the phone. Even though she knew it to be the right thing to do, she felt a surge of anger as she heard the deadened line in her hand. It was as if the umbilical cord had been cut severing her from her baby. She replaced the receiver, watching Rob redial triple zero for police. She stood still, with nothing to do. She had a sudden urge to put on the jug for a cup of tea, and almost laughed at herself as she realised the cliché of her actions. Hello, police? Rob's voice was mild and clear. I wish to report an attack on my daughter. She was driving a yellow Mitsubishi number plate... He stopped for a moment, calling out to his wife. Barbara, do you know the number plate of Janie's car? Barbara thought for a moment. Um, yes, yes, it's Janie's initials, JVJ, then... She stopped suddenly, her face going pale. No, Rob, she's not driving her own car. Remember, she's driving Lexi's car. Her husband's throat contracted for a moment as the impact of this information became apparent. I'm sorry, officer. No, we don't know the licence plate number or the make of the car. There was a long pause while Robert listened to the information at the other end before continuing. His voice trembled. No, her car broke down somewhere near Spindle Creek, on the main highway. She enlisted the aid of two men who drove up in a truck. No, I don't have the number plate. She thought at first they were the house owners, but now we're not so sure. No, she didn't know their names, just... He looked to his wife for confirmation. Pete and Joe. He gave the names, which sounded more idiotic now than before. There was a silence that seemed to go on forever. Yes, if you wait a moment, I'll give you her mobile number. Rob's voice was cold and distant. Bob, would you have Jamie's mobile number? Barbara froze in thought. No, no. She gave it to me when she first went to the ISA, but I didn't bother to write it down. I told her calls to mobiles were too expensive. I said I would always contact her on the landline. She knew she was gushing. Dear God, too expensive. Her daughter's life at stake and she had worried about the cost of calls. Robert's look to her was recriminating as he spoke with embarrassment. I'm sorry, officer. No, we don't know the number. And it will take a little time to find it. We'll have to wait until she contacts us again, or... His voice was restrained and quiet. Or she calls you. Another hesitation. But she may not do that. I told her I would take care of it. Husband and wife stared at each other with mounting terror. They were giving the police so little to go on. Robert put the telephone down. He had told the police all they knew. He had hardly cradled the receiver when the telephone rang again. Snatching it up, his face immediately registered disappointment as he heard his father on the end of the line. Oh, hello, Pops. How are you? The inane words slipped out before he could help it. Sure. Of course. Then, not able to bear it any longer, he cut it. Look, Pops, sorry. We have a little problem at the moment. We're waiting on a call from Janie. Could I call you back? Barbara had come over to his side and answered his questioning look with a shake of her head. No, nothing serious at the moment. We'll get back to you. This was not the time to pass on their worries. Decisively, the telephone went down. He knew his father would be surprised and irritated, but that was of little account. All could be explained later. He wanted to know if he could bring over a couple of bottles of ale, seeing as he doesn't like champagne. The remark sounded so trite under the circumstances that they both found a grim smile coming to their lips. Before they were settled, however, the now familiar ringing occurred again. 
Barbara was almost holding her breath as Rob spoke into the mouthpiece. If anything, his voice hardened even more. I see. I see. No, I'm sorry. That's what she said, I'm sure of it. They must have been lying to her. Thank you. I'm sure you will. That was the police. They've gone through their computer files. There is no property named Trevan listed in that area. Barbara let out a cry of anguish. The emotion she had been holding back now flooding through her. He looked to his wife. Don't worry. The police are onto it. They're sending a squad car around here. And they'll have a chopper ready. Why come to us? We're not the one needing help. Can't they send a helicopter up there now? Barbara was bordering on hysteria. Well, they have to come and check us out. These police search and rescue exercises are expensive, I guess. They need to make sure we're not hoaxes. He put his arm around her. But love, uh, these men, this Pete and Joe, must have made up the name Trevan, so it may take a while. <laughs> By now, Barbara was dissolved oh, no. in tears. Oh, no. Her sobs reaching an eerie wail in the empty house. Then, through the distressed sound, once more the telephone. Her hand was shaking so much she dropped it. Even when bending down to the floor, she put the receiver to her ear so as not to miss a moment. Mum? Thank God! Barbara straightened up, almost dancing with relief. Janie, help is on its way. We've rung the police. They'll be calling you. Give me your number. Mum? The voice so quiet, hardly audible. I I can hear it. And and yes, I can see it now. It's them, Mum. They're back. Janie? Jamie, love, hide! Can't you hide? Mum, mummy, my, my leg, it's broken and... and The voice was weak and pain-ridden. Oh, mummy, it hurts so bad. Through the small device that linked her daughter to her, Barbara faintly heard her dog bark, male voices and the sounds of heavy boots on undergrowth. Then, Janie's voice, shrieking with terror. No! Barbara saw the scene in her mind's eye. The vision... So clear. Her daughter, bruised, bleeding, terrified, crying out for help. Crying out for help. No! Shrieking with terror. No! Please! No, I won't say anything! I I promise I won't! 400 kilometres away, Barbara expelled hatred and bile as she screeched into the receiver. Leave her alone, you monsters! Leave her alone! Two sounds, intermingled as one. A sound that would haunt her for the rest of her life. A sound that invaded her home, penetrating each room, and would forever echo around her heart. First, the leaden sound of a heavy boot crashing down on a mobile phone, distorted through the miles, distorted through the wires, distorted through the broken vocal cords of her daughter's scream, her daughter's last breath. Please, no! No! And finally, silence. And You have been listening to The Sound of Silence, written by Brianda Cross, narrated by Michael Wilkins, and performed by Maureen Durney, Trevor Bell, and Brianda Cross.